My name's Clay. I'm kind of the college minister guy here for college and single adults and so on and so forth here. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. And so here I am, and it is a blessing and an honor to be here this morning. My mom's here, so no pressure for me over here with her. I love her dearly. She's very gracious, so I'm glad she's here, and I'm glad all of you are here. As we look into these scriptures today, there's something that sticks out to me when we go over these things. And one word comes to mind, and it's the word mystery. I mean, I think we all love that word, don't we? I mean, some of us may be like, I don't like a mystery novel or anything like that. But in all honestly, we kind of do. Whether it's a book or a story someone tells you or a movie you go and see, we love a mystery. It's like when you go see a play or go see a movie and this mystery character keeps showing up that you have no idea who they are. But throughout the story, they just keep popping up and maybe giving really good advice to somebody. Or they heal them or they do something and you're just like, who is this guy? Why does he keep showing up? It catches your attention, right? And deep down inside, we, we really love mysteries because it deals with identity. It makes us wonder who they are, where they're from, what's their story. And Paul, in these chapters that we're about to go through, these verses, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be at. But he's going to talk to us about a mystery. A mystery that he says that The world hasn't even seen yet. They've known that there's been a mystery that God's been playing out. But it really hasn't been revealed yet to mankind or not even to the angels. And this this mystery is something that fascinates angels themselves. It fascinates man. And it's something that glorifies God. And this is the mystery that he's bringing out. But I ask you a question. What makes a good mystery? Anybody? That's a rhetorical question. I don't put anybody on the spot. But what makes a good mystery is when it makes you think and it makes you wonder, right? You know a good mystery is one that when you hear it, you really do think and wonder. It's like when you're reading that book and it's really getting good, and something's happening, but it hasn't really come to the climax yet, and you're just like, oh, I've got to do this, and you look over at the clock, and it's like 3 in the morning, and you're going, I've got to teach third graders in the morning. I've got to, I, yeah, I've got to put this down. You put it down, and, but instead of going to bed, you're just kind of laying there looking at the book going, I can do one more chapter. I can do this. Because you want to know, right? And then that's the mark of a good mystery. And so as we look into these verses, we're going to kind of go verse by verse. We're going to see what this mystery is about. We're going to see where Paul's going with this. And so if you turn to Ephesians, if you have your smartphone, you can go and get it on that. We're going to look at Ephesians, and starting in chapter 1, going through verse 3, we see Paul starting off like this. For this reason, I, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So we're going to stop 
and kind of look back at these verses real quick. The first verse is kind of, kind of confusing a little bit. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for you on your behalf. I mean, that should get your attention, right? I mean, if you get a letter in the mail from some guy who's, you know, says, hey, I'm in prison right now, but I'm doing this for you. And then it has like a little picture of him behind bars. Like, hey, how's it going? This is me for you. That would catch your attention, right? Going, you're in prison? Okay, for me? On my behalf? Why? Why is that? Then he goes on to verse 2 and says this. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Saying, assuming that you know what God has done for me, because some of these Ephesians that he's talking to have no idea what he's been doing. They're just now seeing him, just now getting to know him. He says, in case you forgot or haven't known yet, I've been blessed by grace, and that God has called me to handle and to preach his word. And why have I been called to this? Look in verse 3. He says about revelation. What Paul is doing here in this first part is he's trying to build his credibility up to these people. He's trying to tell you what I'm telling you about this mystery that I'm about to tell you about. It's trustworthy. I mean, working with college students, and Michael can contest with working with youth, that, you know, sometimes they question Everything. Well, why? Well, it just is. Well, why? Or if you even have a little kid, they'll do that fun stuff sometimes. My little nephew, Cole, one time asked his dad, Dad, why is the sky blue? And my brother-in-law looked at me and go, how do you answer that? I mean, you can go into the science, but to the little, you know, eight-year-old here, how's he really going to comprehend that? But he questions everything. And when he comes to youth, to college students, they question, you know, big issues, which is good. You should. And this is what Paul's doing. He's going, what I'm about to tell you, don't think it's just some you know, crazy person trying to say this. It's like, you wouldn't trust anybody. If you're a teacher, you teach third graders, and I walked in going, hey, let me teach you how to teach third graders. And you're going to go, what's your credibility on this? Why would you do this? Or if I try to come up here and tell Jack how to play the drums right, he'd probably sit back and go, leave. You're embarrassing yourself. Go, because I know nothing of drums. I can play the trumpet, that's about it, and very little at that. And so I would have no credibility. But Paul, what he's saying here, when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, it's trustworthy. Because it wasn't revealed to me just by study. I went to a library, heard some cool rumors, went on Wikipedia or anything like that. He's saying, this was revealed to me by God himself. And so this is his build-up into this. And we go on to verses 4 and 5. He says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He's saying, when you look into what I'm about to say, you're going to understand my insight. What I reveal to you, you're going to understand these things. And it may not make sense at first, but keep reading. Keep looking. This is going to make sense. 
He says, this mystery, by the way, throughout the ages, since creation itself happened, no one's really grasped this mystery. No one's really known about this mystery. And you see hints of it throughout Scripture. You see people who know God's up to something. But what it really is, we don't know. It's like with Jesus. Have you ever wondered when Jesus healed somebody, how he usually like, healed them of leprosy and goes, okay, go tell nobody about this. I mean, ever been confused by that? I know I have. You're going, why? You would think you'd be like, yeah, go tell everybody. You got cured. Go do this. This has changed your life. But the reason he did it is because he knew at the culture of the time, what the Jews really wanted was a king. Someone who would rise up in power, kick out Rome, whom they hated. And they would make their nation again. Does you ever know anything about the Jewish culture? It's a very prideful culture. And for them to be under somebody, it just irked at them daily. And this is what they wanted. But Jesus knew better than that. That's why he would tell, you know, oh, you can see now. You've been blind all your life. Now you can see. Okay, tell nobody about that. Okay. But usually people went and told him anyway, right? And he's bringing this mystery together. This mystery that no one's fully grasped yet. It reveals so many things. And this is the mystery, verse 6. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, This is the mystery. This gospel of saving grace does not just come to the Jews. It comes to the Gentiles. And unless anybody's a Jew in here, we're all Gentiles. And I know today that's probably not a big deal. We're probably like, oh good, I've been worried about that. It was only for the Jewish people. Ooh, that's good. I mean, for this day and age, this was, a, this was huge. But when he was talking to them, the Gentiles are going, we were you know, the ones that everybody looked down on. The Jews were God's chosen people. Of course He would save them, but He would save us too. And today that may not be a big deal for us. But think about it. Because we may carry the same mindset as the Jewish people. Casting crowns, anybody heard of them? A few people? Christian band. One of their songs has a verse in it. It says, Jesus paid far too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come. And so this whole Jew and Gentile thing may not really affect us much, but we kind of carry that old Jewish mentality that this is for us and us alone. Have you ever been in that place where you kind of look at somebody and go, well, I'm better than you. I mean, you don't out front say it, but deep down in your mind, you kind of think it. Whew, I screw up in life, but not as bad as this guy does. Or you look at somebody and go, I will never talk to him. <laughs> Period. Especially about Jesus. I just, my, they just kind of freak me out. We kind of get that mentality sometimes. And it hurts our witness when we follow Christ. But I, I pose the question of, what if we did talk to them? What if we made that choice to go, hey, I'm going to go talk to this guy? What would we find out? Who would we meet? 
What kind of person are they? Are they somebody who's willing to talk? Somebody who would share in their struggles? Someone who's maybe looking for life? Someone who's looking for answers? Maybe somebody who's even on the verge of suicide and going, nobody cares about me. Maybe they want help. And they're just looking for it. And the people we pass by day by day, who knows what their life is? Because looking out at everybody in here, everybody's got your own story. Something that you want to tell people, deep down you really do, you want to share life together. But it's scary, right? There's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia that I have very high esteem for. His name is Louis Giglio. And he's a pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was at a uh, football game, and they had their Christian day, you know, football game, then a concert afterwards and all that. Well, they were having a Christian day at, I think it was the, the Falcons Stadium. And he was going to speak for it after the worship music. And he's down in kind of the under parts of the stadium, just kind of walking around, like, exploring, because he loves to do that, apparently. And he says that he runs into an electrician down there, who comes up to him and just asks him, hey, what's about to go on upstairs? I've had to get, you know, all this help with all the lighting and sound and all that. I, I'm really not sure what's about to happen. And he's going, okay, here's that awkward moment. Me going, you know, I'm going to tell this guy, oh, it was a concert. And he's going to ask, oh, what kind of concert? Who is it? Uh, it's a Christian concert. He's going to go, oh, okay. And that awkward phase. He's like, and so to avoid that completely and just fully embrace the awkwardness, He's like, oh, we're about to have church upstairs, which blows this guy away. He's like, what? He's like, we're about to have church. We're going to sing worship songs to God, and I'm actually the pastor. I'm going to you know, speak on some stuff, and the guy was like, oh, I don't believe in that, which is you know, worst-case scenario for you going, I stepped out on faith. I told these people, ooh, shot down. But I love Louis' insight into it because he goes, as soon as this guy said it, he came back with this. He goes, let me ask you a question. If you really did believe in God, what's something you would ask him? And he said, without hesitation, the guy goes, I'd have him heal this person in my family. And he just, for ten minutes, tells Louis his life these last few months of what struggles he's been going through. And Louis looks at him and goes, I'll tell you this. I'm going to pray for you in your situation. And if God acts and heals this person, I want you to remember you and me talking this day about God. Like I said, okay, whatever. Walked off. And Louis goes, you know, in that moment, I didn't freak God out. God wasn't up there going, oh, great, now I'm online here. I've got to do this now. So I'm pretty sure God was up in heaven going, oh, yeah. This is my time to act. My son was being a son. And now I get to go and act for these people. Louis said, I don't know what happened to him. We never talked again. He hasn't come back and, you know, run down the aisle and told me what happened or any of this. He said, but that's part of faith. It's what comes for being a son of Christ. It's not about, you know, going up to somebody and like smack them in the head with the Bible going, repent! That we kind of get that mentality sometimes of what Christians do or that awkward moment of going, hi, how are you? Uh, do you go to church anywhere? No. 
Okay, I do, so it's okay. Uh, I'm here to save your soul from the depths of hell. And you're just kind of like, that's what Christians do. I'm not going to be a part of that. I mean, you really kind of get that in your mind sometimes, right? That's not what God's got in mind, by the way. I was trying to be as awkward sounding as I can for that. Because that's kind of the mentality we get, right? But what about us? That's good for, you know, the pastor in the big church in Atlanta. But what about us? Who can we meet day by day? A little story I found out before I came here. As I used to live in Memphis, and the day before I moved here, I was out playing disc golf in a big park in Memphis, and I was by myself, and I'm about on the third hole, and I hear somebody yelling at me from behind, like, Hey! Hey! You by yourself? Yeah. Can I join you? Come on. And then he starts coming into view, and it's this gruff-looking guy. I mean, big, gnarly beard, tattoos all over. Literally, his disc golf bag in one hand and a bottle of malt liquor in the other one. Just (laughs) walking up to me, and I'm going, what have I done? (laughs) I did not expect this. And I'm just being honest. That was the first thought of my mind. Then going, okay, God. This has got to be of you. Let's do this thing. And getting to talk with this guy named James. And just getting to go through holes together. And just, he was so open to just talking. Just shared his life, the goods and the bad points. We had, you know, a few similarities. I had been at North Carolina for a few months. And he knew a guy who grew weed in North Carolina. And <laughs> it was great. Literally, he did. Uh, tell me where he's at. So, there you go. It just blew my mind how open this guy was. And by the end of it, he even gave me a disc golf disc. He's like, you need one of these. And I listen to that. I'm going, what in the world? And we got to talking a little bit about God. He asked me what I did. And I was like, I'm a minister. And he's like, that's cool, that's cool. And just kind of asking me questions on that. And he wasn't, you know, saved and all this that day. But a friendship was built. If I ever met that guy again, I could say, hey, James, and I'm pretty sure, I would hope he would remember me. Uh, he did tell me he was drunk at the time, the malt liquor, but, so maybe he didn't, but I will remember him. And building that, so who, who do you think you might run into? The story that you might find. Verse 6 talks about we're all partakers of the promise. We're all partakers. Meaning, God's gift of grace, of salvation, of life and love is given to all. Not just Jews, not just Gentiles, to all. But some of us in here, you know, we might pose that question, can I? Can I really get that? Because it sounds a little too good to be true. Because you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. And I don't deserve a thing like grace. Or maybe you have experienced grace and you are a child of God. But you've kind of messed up. You go, I don't deserve to talk to anybody about this. They just claim I'm a hypocrite. Can can I really talk to these people? Can I really do this? Because you don't really know what I've done in life. But look at Paul in verse 7. It says this, Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. So I just want to 
tell you something real quick. This thing that God's given me, He gave me authority. He gave me a duty. He made me a minister, a steward of His own Word. And He's showing His confidence right here. He's going, by the way, the reason I'm confident in my own in what I do is because I know this is not of me. This is from God. God made me this. By grace, He gave this to me. And then He reminds them of something. Verses 8 and 9. He says, first two words, to me. When you really look at the Scripture, you see those first two words. He says, to me. You can almost hear it in His voice. The humility He has. He says, to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. These people know Paul's history. For those of you who might not know it, Paul was a pretty bad guy before he met Jesus. He was a Jew among Jews. He was a zealot for his faith, and his number one goal in life was to destroy Christianity. He literally would kill Christians, hunt them down, go and acquire the paperwork that would give him you know, the reason to go and kidnap, imprison, kill Christians. I mean, when he's looking back at his own life, if he knew what Nazis were, you think of Nazi SS soldiers, Gestapo police officers, for those of you who don't know what that is. These were the guys during the Nazi reign who were the hidden police. That If they knew of any Jews or anybody who just thought was against the Nazis, they would come to your house, find you, black bag you, and you'd never be heard of again. There's a little girl named Anne Frank. Anybody heard of her? Got to substitute a class a few weeks back that we literally watch her documentary every seven, every hour for seven hours. And just getting to know her story more and more. You know that this little girl, about 12 years old, her dream in life was to become a writer. And so she started out by writing in her diary. But she had to hide from the Nazis because her and her family were Jews. And they hid in this factory in this little house with another family. Until one day, somebody ratted them out and a Gestapo soldier came up, arrested them, and their family were dispersed to death camps and the only one to live with the family was the father, who later went to take her book and publish it. This little girl. And I know we, we, we know that's a bad thing. I mean, I've been in Germany, I've walked in those death camps, and to see it and to experience it, it's a whole other level. And you look at Paul, and he's going to me. Though I'm the very least of the saints. He's like, I'm responsible for the deaths of Christians. I'm just like this. If he knew what those were, he would probably relate himself to it. But he doesn't waller in self-pity. Instead, he says it was by God's grace this was given to preach to the Gentiles. By the way, this is the unsearchable riches. This is part of the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
I mean, this, is, this astounds him. And it shows his humility in this moment. Of him going, I'm not you know, trying to just get my agenda across to people. But what I'm telling you is I've experienced something that has changed and saved my life. This is of God, and I'm trying my best to bring it out. I am unworthy of these things. I deserve death. I deserve punishment. But instead, God gave me grace. And this is the greatness of God. That He would do it. A little illustration I saw before from a guy is Plato. Don't tell my nephew that I stole this from him. But, as you can see, as I hope you can see, this is not that color, right? I mean, this is kind of a little harder, a little crackly brown, because it's been mixed with everything. And, you know, sometimes we kind of feel like that. We kind of look at our lives and go, you know, I used to look like that, but now I look like this. And, you know, I've let, you know, some other colors come into me, and at the time, they were really pretty, you know, kind of mixed together, but... Then I let that work into my life, and now look at this. I went some places, I did some things, and, you know, I'm kind of hard now. I'm not as soft as I used to be. I just kind of feel like this. And, you know, when I look at, you know, me, I don't think anybody can really do anything really pretty with that. I mean, that's not the best color to, you know, make something pretty. Now this, when I was like that, somebody could make something really pretty out of that, right? But this, this is kind of me. Crackly. Dried up, hard. But the thing is, when God sees this, He talks about He's the master craftsman, the potter. You really think that when He looks at this, if this was you, He would go, ugh. Uh, I'm going to throw that out. Or do you think He's going to look at it and go, I can do something with that. I can mold this. It'll take a little time. I can shape it, though. I can make it into something really pretty. You don't need that. I have to take that away from you. It's okay. I'm, I'm cool with it. I can shape this, and I can mold it. And how cool would it be for God to make something j- just so amazing out of something that looks so dull? I mean, anybody can make something really pretty out of something that is pretty, Right? But God's going, I can make something so spectacular out of something that looks so dull. Part of the unsearchable riches that he talks about. In verse 9, Paul talks about bringing to light to all people. This shows his purpose in life. When I talked about mysteries earlier, I think that's one of the biggest mysteries we all think about, right? Right? What's my purpose in life? Why do I do what I do? Why do I get up in the morning? What's my reason for doing this? And Paul's making it very clear. I'm bringing to light to everybody what Jesus has done. I'm pointing to Jesus. This plan that He's had. Something that's been around since from the beginning. That God has been working that no one's really known until now. If you look at Genesis 3.15, there's a verse talking about right after the fall of man, 
And God's talking to the woman and He's talking to Satan. And He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the serpent. And He will crush your head and you will bruise His heel. And what He's talking about there is a reflection of Jesus. In Latin, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel. It's God shining out. Yeah, you messed up. But I've got a plan. A plan to save you. And this is his purpose. This is Paul's purpose in life. To make light. To show Christ. It's what's been given to Paul. He's saying this gift, the unsearchable riches, this mystery, it's not just salvation. It's a purpose in life. It's where I'm going. And it's kind of scary for us sometimes to think, you know, sharing Jesus, but really it shouldn't be. I mean, God's not really calling us to be the awkward, hi, how are you, guy. He's calling us to be more than that. God's a smart guy, you know. He knows what's awkward and weird and what's a good way to really get to somebody. And I know it scares us. I hope it doesn't shame us. I know it doesn't shame doesn't shame Paul. He was a Jew, and he's willing to become undignified for Jesus. And in Romans one sixteen, he talks about, "For I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power unto salvation." He said, "There's something about this word." And so, when we look at that question for how do we become better witnesses for Christ, because that's revealed in this mystery, you look at Paul. You see his confidence of him going, something's happened to me. God has done something to me. You see his humility of going, this isn't about me. This is about God. And his purpose of going, everything that I do, I do with that purpose in mind. And there's a sense of freedom about it. If you look at Colossians 3.17, it's pretty neat what comes up. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. And so God gives you freedom here. You don't have to become a minister. Every one of you must you know, sell everything you have and go to China if you want to glorify God. He's not saying that. He's saying, whatever you do, if you're a teacher, your purpose is to glorify God. If you're a small appliance repairman, you have that purpose to glorify God. And how, how would you do that? I don't know, by maybe going to a place and not doing it the cheaper way. That It's probably going to break in a couple of months, but maybe taking time out of your you know, schedule and actually doing the hard labor and leaving that place and going, we'll never have a problem with that again. And I didn't have to charge them for the little bit of extra work that I did. No. It's those things, it's being a teacher and being of Christ-like character to maybe when you, one of your students, you know, you're teaching third grade and one of your students finally gets up to being a senior and he's just been hell on earth to all of his students or all of his teachers throughout, you know, time since he's been in class. But he comes back to you and goes, you were different from all the other teachers. You actually showed me kindness and love and actually liked to go to your class. What was different about you? And it opens your door. Being a better witness is part of this mystery that Christ has given. It's not something that's hard. It's not something we should fear. 
It's not something we should do alone either because that's kind of what we think, that we have to go and champion it ourselves. When God doesn't say that, Jesus never sent anybody out by themselves, by the way. Two by two, He always sent them. And if you're an introvert like me and it kind of freaks you out to talk to people, find an extrovert. Find somebody who's like, man, I'm really good at starting conversations. Great, I'm good at carrying conversations. Because if I know you, I can talk your head off all day. But starting that conversation is like pulling teeth with me. So this is how we cure it. And in verse 10, he shows us this more. He says, so that through the church, through the church, not through one or two, but through all of us, together, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so kind of switching gears a little bit here, he throws a surprise in right there. Who does he say to make known to? Not to men. He says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Which, by the way, is angels. And I don't know if you're like me or not, but when angels come on topic, I kind of get excited because they're mysterious themselves, right? Some of us get this mentality that there's, you know, there's guardian angels and all these and that. And there's something about angels that kind of intrigue our minds. And here's Paul going, by the way, this mystery, it doesn't just affect you, it affects angels. And think about that. Going through verses 10 and 11, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says we're amazing angels to this day. Do you realize that? If you walk with God, angels themselves look at you in amazement. I don't know about you, that kind of intrigues my mind a little bit of going... Why? Why would an angel be amazed by me? You know, this whole salvation thing is of really important interest to them. In 1 Peter 1.12, talks about they long to look into these things. And you, you ask, you know, why? Why do angels care about this? You look in verse 11 at the eternal purpose of God going from beginning of time, I was making known this mystery to save mankind from their sins, to glorify my name, and to blow the minds of angels. Because the thing about angels is, angels don't know forgiveness. Angels, they don't realize what that is. If you look at 2 Peter 2.4, there's an interesting thing that comes up. It says that when angels sin, by the way, some of them did, they were not forgiven. If you look at Matthew 25, 41, he says, hell. Have you ever wondered why God made hell? I don't know if you ever thought about that, why a good, loving God would make hell. He answers that, 25, 41. The reason I did... It was because of the devil and his angels. When Satan decided to go against God and the angels who joined him, God threw them down 
and he made hell as a place to hold them. And think about that. God never gave the chance of forgiveness to angels. Though angels, by all means, are so much more powerful and intriguing and all these things, God would look at them and go, you'll never know forgiveness. You'll never get the chance to experience forgiveness. But then he turns around and looks at mankind and goes, I'll forgive you though. I mean, do do you realize how blessed we are as a people? Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're blessed to know that you have that choice. Angels? They don't. They don't get that option. So when they look down and see this, this blows their minds. I'm going, this is what God's been doing? And if you ever wonder why, you know, Satan really hates mankind, maybe it's because of that. Of him, Satan, by the way, if you look throughout the Bible at his various forms and what he is, he is the most powerful thing in all of creation. He's not powerful from God because God's the creator. But when it comes to creation itself, there's no more power than Satan. He was one of the commanding angels of heaven. And him going, you would forgive these people, these humans, but you wouldn't forgive me? I mean, it's kind of like that thought of the guy, if guys, as you liked a girl before, but she liked this other guy. And so instead of hating the girl, you hated the guy for some reason. Anybody been down that road before? Or vice versa? Of going, I just hate them. Of Satan looking at us and going, I hate you. And the reason why bad things happen and there's sin in the world and all this is because of Satan. While we suffer, while these things happen, is because he looks at us and goes, I can't stand the thought of you getting something I don't. You get forgiveness over me? This is why he traps us in our sins. This is why he makes us bitter against God and makes us, when we think about God, we kind of laugh it off. Oh, those Christians, all those God things. When we say those kind of things, you just play right into his trap because he's crafty. And he looks to do nothing more than to make us suffer and be trapped. But the good thing is God is more powerful. And that Satan can do nothing without God allowing it. You look at Job for that. But know this, that God is with you. And he wants you to walk with him, Micah 6, 8. To walk with him. Not just look at the Bible for answers. It's going, God, what should I do today? I should do this. Take 30 men with you from here. Okay, I need to find 30 men. Uh, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Okay, I've got to find a guy named Jeremiah. Anybody ever done that before where you're looking for answers and you just kind of Bible point? And you're just like, this is it. Is it him or her? And he will come over the sunrise. It's him. It's not about that. It's not looking for God for just answers. It's walking with God. Like a good friend. You ever just had a good conversation while walking along with somebody and enjoyed it? This is the picture God gives. That He wants to help us and He wants to save us. And that He does that without us even knowing. I mean, if you look at Psalm 23, verse 5, 
It's a shepherd psalm of God saying, You're like sheep, people, and I'm like the shepherd. And I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And what he's saying there is, you're like sheep, that you're too busy living life to realize half the dangers that are around you. In the shepherd's case, the wolves that are looking down upon you. And God going, but I'm right there protecting you from them. Holding, you, holding them back. And then some of us, when we get to heaven, we kind of have a list for God going, why did you let these things happen to me in life? But when we bring that list to God, I'm pretty sure He's going to throw out the scroll that just goes on for miles of going. By the way, let me tell you, uh, you remember that day that you were driving to work uh, in September? Yeah, it was kind of foggy outside, you know, that and that. Did you know the guy who was driving behind you was drunk at the time? And uh, he was swerving all sorts of ways, and he almost hit you, but I, I kept that from happening. You, you don't know that, but I do. It's okay. Or that day that you took the family out driving through the woods, and it was a nice day, just enjoying everything. But there was actually a hunter who was just being an idiot out in the woods and just firing off random shots. And actually, he was going to hit you, but I, you know, I took care of that too. You didn't know that, by the way. I mean, think of that, of how many times God saved your life, saved your family, without you ever even knowing it. He longs to do that. Then wrapping it up, verse 12, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Another part of this mystery of going, you have access to God. You as a person have access to God. No other religion allows that even, of going, no, you have to be mediated through somebody. But God's going, no, I want you to talk to me yourself. I'm giving you access to me. In the very last verse, verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Saying, don't lose heart. For him at the time, he's in prison, he's being in pain. He's like, when you look at my situation, don't lose heart over this. And for us today, when you see people who's going through pain in life, he's going, don't lose heart over that. Or if you're suffering, don't lose heart over that. For all you know, God's allowed this to come into your life to strengthen you. To make you better. To glorify His name because you can make that choice. I mean, we love those stories, right? When we're watching the Olympics and this guy's like from Turkmenistan. And you're just like, I have no idea where that's at. And you hear this guy's story and you're just like, man, I want him to win. Forget Michael Phelps. I, I want this guy to win. Because he's had an awesome story. I mean, we love that. And Satan, the most he can do to you is make you suffer, but when you kind of turn that around and throw it back in his face, you've taken his strongest weapon from you. And when we act like this, as the band comes back up here, when you act like this, you become a mystery yourself to other people. You become somebody who intrigues other people of going, you've gone through all this suffering in life, but you're not bitter. Why? Jesus. I've accepted Him. I'm walking through Him. Yeah, it's hard, yeah. But I'm still walking through this with Him. And so we ourselves become a mystery. And what do people love to do about mysteries? They want to figure them out, right? 
And this opens the door of people going, I want to know more about you, why you do what you do. The Bible calls us Christians a peculiar people, a mysterious people. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, there's one thing I can say about this church is the people here want to serve and love you. I've experienced that throughout the years of coming and going from here. People have helped me out. And we want to bring you to know Christ. This is our purpose here, is to make Jesus famous. And for you to find life in Him. If you don't know Him, you've got me, Phil, and dozens of other people around. Just ask. So how do I do this? And we want to walk with you through this. If you do know Jesus, but you've been messing up in life, and you want to become that better witness, come and pray with us. We're right here. This is... I hope this is not a scary place. Because I know it's the last thing we want, to, want this to be is a scary place. We want this to be an open place, full of love and acceptance. And we're looking together to Jesus and what He's doing in life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for this morning. I thank you for these people in here, God, that, God, I don't know everyone's story in here, but you do. You've walked with them. There's probably people in here who's bitter towards you, towards life, people who just don't understand, people who are really searching, though they don't show it, and ask you just to work in their lives. You would captivate our hearts like you did Paul who really just knew the greatness of our God who experienced it and I ask for that for everyone here that whether we believe in you or not that we would see you and experience you daily we thank you for this morning we love you God in your name we pray